Phew. I am. I is. Your man, Dr. Lewis. It's been, it's been one of those weeks, y'all. One of those weeks. But we have fresh content for you here at the Weekend to Take. New format, new system. You'll see. I'll explain it all on the episode. But for now, uh, we suddenly end with a talk on the NBA protest slash strike uh, that was resolved throughout the week. And then we talk about former Bears defensive player on Is This Your King? So, stay tuned for all of that is coming right at you on the weekend it take. In the meantime, let's for potato salad, right? That's right. Ah, I understand. It is noble that she would volunteer to cook for everyone. And although I have never had potato salad, I sense that this white woman does not season her food. That's right. That's right. And if she does, it is only with a tiny bit of salt and no paprika. Mm -hmm. And she probably will add something unnecessary like raisins. Oh, always. So something tells me that I should say, oh, hell no, Karen. Keep your bland-ass potato salad to yourself. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of The Weekend It Take, sponsored by a poorly done African accent. Um, I am your host. I, I, I've taken over hosting duties. We used to flip a coin for it, but no longer. No longer do we flip a coin, not for the time being. COVID has taken the coin flip from us. I am your host, D.R. Lewis. Not the third, baby. The third. Oh, he's, it's back. He's been contested again. I just did the not Last time. I just did the not part so that when Daniel came in with the oh, third, it sounds so. like we're saying not the third. <laughs> oh, he's tricky, Daniel. <laughs> uh, what do you have to say for yourself? Last time I gave Ben for the doubt, Derek, you know, I didn't say anything. And what did you do? You end up standing back in my whole dissertation with Tracy McGrady. So now you can't be trusted. So it's back to business, baby. You know what I'm saying? D.R. Lewis, the third in the building. You know what I'm saying? Top three, not one or two. Let's I roll. listened to the whole podcast. We can take, baby. Let's I roll. I listened to the whole podcast, man. This beef is unfounded. All I did <laughs> Was at a simple take to sandbag. Sandbag me, bro. No reason. Austin, Austin, I mean, what do you think, sir? I was Literally. there as an impartial judge. I'm going to side with Daniel ninety nine percent of the time. <laughs> this is exactly how it goes. He finishes sandbag, his point, man. and I say, I say this. Excellent point, Daniel. Excellent point, Daniel. I just want to add at the end that T Mac is actually a really, really good friend, and most people don't know that. And you're like, we need to hear all that though. We need all that. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. You know what? We're not here to re- relitigate the past. We're going to move on. Uh, <laughs> Terrell Huff, that's being popular. My only friend in this podcast, you are in the building. Say hello. <laughs> Indeed, sir. Pro- hey, protect the arts. Uh, support the arts uh, because we are the arts. This is us. We're the arts. <laughs> My fierce foe what? and supporter of Daniel's nonsense. You are here too. What's that's up? That's fair. That's fair. What up? Uh, some <laughs> good day, sir. Some <laughs> Name Daniel Davis is here as well. I don't know, but he's, he's uh. oh, sandbagging that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Daniel Davis is in the building. What up, homie? Is <laughs> yes, there good to be here? Let's roll. 
So I just want to mention off the top of the podcast, we are making some changes to your to your listening pleasure. Uh, I want y'all to know about the changes so that you uh, you can plan your week accordingly because I know <laughs> you're, you're planning your week around the weekend. Today. <laughs> <laughs> you should be. From, from now on, what we're going to do is we're going to have the main topic and we're going to do Is This Your King? We're going to try to keep it under an hour and 30 minutes for you good folks and that'll be episode one, which will drop Sunday or Monday, depending on how your boy Derek is moving. Uh, so that'll be in your ears early in the week and then in the middle of the week, we will come back to you with uh, what we call a midweeks take and that'll either be a mailbag or something special for you so that you can you can get that into, the ear, into, your, ear, into your eardrums. And so we're separating the podcast basically effectively into two separate podcasts, and so uh, Daniel approves. We're trying to fit it. We're trying to fit it in between a trip from San Antonio to Austin. Yeah, yeah, and so that is how the weekend take will move from now on. And with that being said, let's explain what the weekend take is, man. We take one topic, and only one topic, and we distill it into its purest little form. We put it into a bowl, mash it all up, give you all the info, and we give it back to you. Who do we give it back to? To, to uh, Austin, the people. Yes, the people. And then y'all have it. Y'all are all informed and shit. And y'all love it. Y'all love being informed. You go to your friends. You're like, hey, look at all this information I got that you don't got. I'm smarter than you. <laughs> and then... Uh, don't be that guy. Don't, don't be that guy. I, mean, I know that's who they are. <laughs> but that's who they are. So I just let I just play the ball where it lies. With, with that being said, let's get into today's show. I'm going to give you the... top. Nope. No, I'm not going to give you the topic because before I give you the topic, Terrell Huff has a first take. He wants to tell you all of his thoughts before you even know what the topic is. It's a crazy idea, but it just might work. And so, Terrell Huff's first take, sponsored by who, Daniel? J&T Chocolates, the official charters of Grizzlies. Terrell, take it away. So, first of all, let's start by using the correct word, all right, from what we saw from NBA players this week. Don't call it a boycott, because that's not what it was. Wasn't a boycott. It was a damn strike, okay? It may have only lasted a couple of days, two, three days, but it was a damn strike, okay? The players said, nah, bruh, we ain't doing it. And the owners had to come across with some real shit and really had to listen and really had to make some concessions for those players to go back on the court. I mean, hell, they just tweeted earlier today, Lowry said they were seriously about to leave the bubble. They weren't playing, okay? So the reason I bring that up first and foremost is because a lot of people over the last several years, when we look at like Eric Garner and we look at all the killings and, and, and all of the, 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 the black folks, that have died at the hands or at, at best been assaulted at the hands of police brutality. Um, a lot of times when the players, the NBA players spoke up and said that the shit wasn't cool, all we heard was, oh, you just on the bandwagon, you just latching on to something somebody else is doing. Leave it to the activists, uh, shut up and dribble. Uh, I can just go on and on with some of the shit that certain personalities on the radio and television thought was cool to say to a bunch of black men that were really, really concerned about the America that, ki- that they were gonna raise their kids in. So with that being the case, guess what? Now you actually got action. The action you claim wasn't happening because maybe you didn't see it in front of your face. Now you got action. Now you have NBA arenas where people are gonna be able to go and vote. Now you have players telling their owners, get involved, put your money behind it, 
because we're not just going to be out here wearing t-shirts every night and think that that's going to get something done. Now you have NBA players saying, oh, and by the way, we do know that we have more power than you'd like to let everybody think we have. And we're going to show you what kind of power we have right now. Uh, oh, and lastly, Kyrie was right. That's all I got. And so that was Terrell's first take. And it's sponsored by who, Austin? No, I don't care. No, okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, the official charter's off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. Charters. Oh, yeah. The official charter's off. The Memphis Grizzlies. There you go. Pay respects to the sponsor. And as you learn from Terrell Huff, Today's topic is about the NBA impromptu strike uh, that started on Wednesday, led by the Bucks. The Bucks around, what was it, 1.30? Was it 1.30 or 3? I forget when they scheduled that game. Uh, but in the afternoon time, uh, the Bucks were scheduled to play a game against the Orlando Magic. Instead, uh, they basically decided they weren't showing up. The, the Magic were on the floor. They were ready to get going. The Bucks were not seen for the entire shoot-around, and it became clear as, game, as ga the game was scheduled to start, that the Bucks were, would not be appearing. And so they stayed in the locker room and they, they uh, began to uh, uh, what many called a uh, boycott, but what is more accurately a protest and a strike, a player strike, even though they technically aren't, they're not technically, but they're not striking against the NBA for the things that the NBA has done to them, but they are striking because of, you know, everything that is going on in the country. And so they refused to play a basketball game, a basketball game. And as Terrell pointed out, there was question about if there would be any more basketball this bubble because after the Milwaukee Bucks uh, decided to go on a strike, uh, all the teams followed uh, followed suit. The Magic refused to take the fourth and win, uh, which was probably, as we joked around in the chat, was probably in their best interest. Like, imagine if they had tried to take that fourth and W. Uh, <laughs> you can get into that later, or maybe not. Who knows? That's not really the most important thing in this issue. Uh, but the rest of the teams for the rest of the day decided that they, too, were not going to be playing basketball. Um, and then uh, many, many leagues uh, followed. Uh, NHL followed suit. The uh, MLB. MLB with that badass picture. Uh, ML, uh, NFL canceled practice. The MLB, uh, they followed suit as well with some games. Some of their games did play. Some of their games did not play. Uh, so the uh, NBA, the WNBA, of course, as well. And then they also had those nice. Tennis as well. Yes, tennis uh, as well postponed. Uh, and the uh, WNBA also had those interesting uh, protest shirts. Uh, that had seven shots in the back to represent the seven shots in the back yeah. that Jacob Blake, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, was, you know, succumbed to. And that's another part of this that I probably should have started with, that the NBA players were, protest were protesting because of the unfortunate uh, shooting in Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin, uh, not far from Milwaukee, where Milwaukee plays their basketball games. Uh, Jacob Blake was shot uh, unarmed by police officers who were trying to uh, reportedly break up a fight between two women. Somehow Jacob Blake became the eye of their attention. We still don't have all the details on what's going on. Um, the police have released a statement saying that they were executing a warrant for his arrest, but that doesn't really add up with what the accounts are. So we're still waiting for all the pieces of the puzzle to come together. But what we're not waiting for is the fact that Jacob Blake was shot while he was trying to get into his car uh, seven times from the back. Um, there has been a report that there was a knife in the car, um, which seems to try to be a, a smear campaign to justify shooting a man seven times in the back. Uh, a lot of black folks, as you would imagine, are buying that that's a justifiable reason, nor should they. And so that's how we got to the in, in, ah, NBA players wishing to protest. Uh, the day after that, after they had executed you know, their power upon the league, uh, they got onto a conference call. 
uh, in which LeBron James and the Clippers and Lakers and the Clippers all decided that they were going to leave the bubble. LeBron James kind of unceremoniously left the call. Uh, and so it looked like for at least a brief moment that the bubble was over. The next day, uh, they were able to convince LeBron James to play, and it, all the dominoes kind of fell into place after that. Chris Paul, Andre Iguodala, and uh, other other leaders of the NBA were able to kind of successfully get LeBron to walk that back, and the league has continued as uh, scheduled since Saturday. Uh, pretty much every league is back to work at this point, uh, but it was an unprecedented show of force uh, across the sports landscape, starting with the Milwaukee Bucks. And so that's basically where we, where we uh, leave today. Uh, we, there's a lot to dice up and dissect between the NBA players executing their power, between other players in sports, uh, around the sports landscape, uh, joining them, LeBron James particularly seemingly flexing his muscles for a while there. And so uh, I'll leave it to y'all. We can, we can chop this up any way y'all would like to discuss it. Uh, and, of course, we'll have to speak about the uh, horrible police shooting that uh, yet another unarmed black man uh, being shot in America. Uh, it's all there for you. Anyone who wants to step up, besides Sorrell, you've talked enough. No <laughs> more. No. <laughs> well, uh, I would, I'll, I'll just say, you know, and y'all can talk about it as much as you want, and, and it's a, it is stuff to talk about. But honestly, how much can we get out of the shooting itself? Um, it, it, I hate to say it, but it's, it's the same thing we talk about in, in every week, it seems. Um, you know, it, it, the, the brutal reality is it happened. And, and I think all of us agree that it was completely unwarranted to shoot him seven times, um, to fire seven shots in his back as he was entering a vehicle. And I don't want to play the what about is in game because it's just tiring. You know, you can point to any number of places where that doesn't happen. But it happened in Wisconsin and it happened 30 miles south of Milwaukee, which is what prompted all of this. Um, for me, what was interesting is that whole day, I remember reading the report that the Raptors were floating the idea. Um, and that was like the, the day's topic, like the Raptors were floating this boycott. And then all of a sudden, Milwaukee just did it. No ceremony. They didn't announce it. They didn't put out a statement. They just straight up didn't show up to the game. Um, and then kind of all hell broke loose from that point on. So I, I have tremendous respect for the players for realizing their power because they have power more than, than even people who follow the sport realize, it seems, if the players don't want to play, then you don't have a product. And that's directly going to affect the pocketbooks of that. And I guarantee those owners were terrified that LeBron James and, and others, um, and we'll get into LeBron because LeBron, a lot of players have issues with how he behaved apparently. But I guarantee those owners were sweating when LeBron said, well, we're not going to finish the playoffs. And then it's like, oh, shit, what are we, <laughs> what are we going to yeah. do here? So that, that leverage, that power was, was really great to see. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how it goes from here. On the flip side of it, I'm also scared to see how it goes from here from an owner standpoint because you know they're going to start putting in protections for, for player boycotts, player, player issues like that. We talked a little bit about it before where what, what's the repercussion? Like, do they punish the Bucks? And, and I don't think they have any standing to punish the Bucks. You know, it's, it's kind of an unprecedented situation, at least from a single issue standpoint. And the NBA would look like the, the worst part of this if they came down hard against the Bucks. So the Bucks had that power, they leveraged it, and then it, it sent ripples throughout the sports community. So I, I'm very impressed with uh, it, it wasn't just the Bucks. I don't want to make it sound like they're the only ones that did this, but they were the first one that did it. They did it without ceremony, and I respect that. And then from there, we saw how it shook out. 
Yeah. Um, to touch on uh, one of Austin's points, uh, real quick, I'll go into mine. Uh, for, the, for the owners possibly putting rules in later on to kind of prevent this, they actually already have rules in place for that. I think if a team does uh, forfeit a game or doesn't show up, they can get fined, I think, $5 million and some other type of penalties and stuff. But that's already in play um, just in case. I don't think it will be more than that. Have you heard any forward. rumors about them going to opt into that? I don't think they have, right? Oh, no, no, no. no. Yes. I only mentioned that, though. Of course, you know, because of optics and such. Um, but for me, with all this happening, I, all I can really think about for right now is just kind of just how iconic it is and how it's really just history in the making. I mean, because that's pretty much most of 2020 has been pretty just, it's going to be a standout point in history because there's, there's so many crazy things happen all at once, you know. Um, but first, of course, seeing when Milwaukee first decided they weren't going to play, that was somewhat expected because, you know, this happened in their backyard. Um, but then to see, like, the, the other, the next team, the next team, you know, then the other game. Um, then you start jumping to different sports. Uh, I know I baseball. Was, I think all of us were very surprised we saw baseball. <laughs> just like, it, was, it was the you Brewers where they didn't take the field and they just left the jersey at home plate that said Black Lives Matter, right? right. I think those were the, yeah. the Brewers. Mm-hmm. Real, so real that quick, was crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Obama was involved with the decision to come back, by the way. Barack Obama yeah. actually, and so I, I, I figured one of y'all might touch on that. Um, but um, if y'all you know, just kind of throwing that out there. Yeah, I think he had a conference call with, I think, Chris Paul and LeBron and Andre, I think. And he kind of, I guess, I guess they kind of convinced LeBron to, to change his mind. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll say iconic because before in the history of American sports, usually when all teams either do something in unison or all sports something in unison, it's because of some type of national tragedy, right? right. Um, you know, 9-11, um, a person was assassinated, things of that nature. Um, so really the fact that all these teams and all these sports leagues all band together for this kind of raises it up. Now what's going on in the world It actually is a national tragedy because it kind of shows that, okay, enough is enough y'all. It's just gotten so out of hand that even all around the country, we all can see that something is clearly wrong and it's not right and needs to be addressed. And I think that kind of just shows because you have so much unification throughout all the sports leagues in the country when before, I mean, everyone, before, a few years before, you have, you know, the NBA might do something, the NFL usually didn't do much. But, you know, here and there, they kind of would do their own thing or a certain team would do their own thing. Um, but now that they're all, like, combining units, then it kind of just shows just what's going on in the world, what people's mindset is. And I thought that was pretty amazing to see. Um, really, it was unexpected for us to have so much support for that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's just because of how fed up people are with what's going on, especially the players. Um, you, you see some people talking about uh, – you know, what's the point of even, you know, boycotting the game or sitting out the game? It's not going to change anything. You know, why even do it? Or what are they after? Like, are they going to sit out until something happens or, what, or or anything? But really, for me, what I think is they first want to, of course, just bring more more uh, notice to it, to get people talking about it, which we, we definitely are. Everybody is people who, who don't support what's going on. And also, it might just be because, hey, maybe it's just what way so hard on the players. They kind of just need some time away, right? I mean, that's what we do at our job sometimes. If stuff goes really bad in our personal lives or what's going on in the country, we need to step away. Then, yeah, sometimes you have to. And I think the players were just, you know, it was hard for them to come back in the first place to go into the bubble and do it because of what's going on. And now that, it, that they're playing and stuff is still about the same or getting worse, it's kind of like, okay, well, we got to kind of recalibrate and kind of see what we need to do. So uh, I still think overall, though, just what's going on for, for right now is just still something that's going to be going down in history. That's pretty iconic that we're – and history being made right in the middle of it right now. Yeah, uh, to Austin's point earlier, there are 29 episodes of The Weekend to Take, uh, the 
we can take proper. Of course, we have our subsidiary, Is This Your King, which is about pop culture and movies and such. But of the We Can It Take, which focuses on sports, there are, there are 29 episodes. 11 of those episodes focus around an institution of some sort exerting power over undue power over a black man. Um, I didn't look at the exact number up, but about four of them are probably police related uh, instances of that. Uh, our episode last week was just about uh, a policeman, though not, you know, he didn't kill him, but he uh, exerted undue uh, power over uh, Masai Ujiri, the vice president, the president, excuse me, of the Toronto Raptors. And so, uh, as Austin says, we, we've done this dance before. If you want to hear um, some takes on police brutality in this country, we have plenty of catalog uh, that you can dissect, uh, not just police brutality, but just other institutions um, that have held uh, not just black men, but black people down in general. Um, there's plenty of catalog for that. But what was so striking about this instance to me um, as Daniel kind of pointed out, is just how much of a moment this was, how much of an iconic moment this was to the point where I was doing nothing. It's kind of because I, I wasn't planning on watching the Bucks play the Magic at all. I was going to be in my room chilling. And all of a sudden, I, you know, you catch wind that the, the Bucks might not play this game. And I rushed to the TV because I thought it was on TNT. I rushed to the TV just to try to be a part of the moment. Um, I ended up finding out it was on NBA TV. And so then I had to kind of do some, some quick thinking to try to see what kind of the coverage was going to be. And it was crazy to me just how spectacular the coverage was across the board. NBA TV was good. Uh, I, I saw the Milwaukee broadcast, which was excellent. Um, I'll have to look her up because I want to name her by name. But there was a sideline reporter who was just absolutely spectacular during this whole event. Um, and she just, you know, she had some stuff that she had already reported on that she brought back up. Um, this was an absolutely iconic moment uh, for uh, American sports and in American sports history. And it struck me how much, despite talking these issues, that there are still so many white people who thought there needed to be, quote unquote, a point, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. they needed to have an end game settled before they did this. What was this accomplishing, as Daniel brought up? And although you would like them to use this power and to wield this power to exert some kind of change and to do that, I think they would have had to sacrifice the season and who knows what kind of danger that causes for them and ramifications that causes for the black community in general um, to try to really flex that muscle. But there didn't have to be some kind of end game point to this. A protest, um, all it has to do is disrupt the system to be effective. And we saw them disrupt the system. Um, even if it was just for one day or two days or three days, um, how, even if it was just for a little bit of a moment, Jacob Blake's name was elevated uh, to a higher status in terms of a cause that could, we could all rally behind. And that was because the Milwaukee Bucks decided that they weren't going to play basketball on Wednesday, on a Wednesday in August. And that's important uh, because they didn't know how that was going to affect them when they did it. They didn't know if they were costing themselves a playoff win. They didn't know how much money they were costing themselves. They took a stand and made sure that no one knew about it and did it and exerted that power and, you know, kind of told the league that, hey, we're not going to entertain these folks if this is just going to be business as usual for this year for next year and for the years after that. And whether they had an end game in mind or not, that's important. Yep. So I, I just think that a lot of the coverage that was outside, that was from the common fan, I shouldn't say coverage, a lot of the thought process that was from the common fan, the common white fan, I should say, uh, was misplaced and misguided because all they really cared about was, hey, I didn't get my basketball game. And this was about something much, much more than that. Oh, and even well, ventures uh, into more sinister. Oh, sorry, real quick. It even ventures into more sinister territory. Um, you know how much I love calling out the playbook. 
uh, Ted Cruz immediately retweeting. It was it was either Ted Cruz or Dan Crenshaw, both of them equally bitch made. Fuck but they re, they retweeted out. Um, somebody was talking about like they boycotted a game. What game? And he retweeted and he's like, exactly. I'm like, oh, look at this fucking idiot. Like that's the, that's the kind of thing. It's like, oh, this doesn't matter. Nobody cares about your playoff game. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I'll just say it's becoming. Some we've kind of talked about this before, but. Some people really just don't care at all. Like, either way, they're like, I just want my basketball. I just want you to entertain me. And that, aside from that, you know, don't speak to me. Don't give me a type of viewpoint. Don't give me anything. Just entertainment. And they're kind of outing themselves right now because they're saying, oh, well, you know, so what if you're boycotting? It's like, what's the point of you doing that? Just play the games and be quiet and, you know, let us continue on with our lives. Shut up but, it's, but it's like, no. yeah, shut up and drill pretty much. And it is kind of sad seeing how many people kind of are of that mindset. Um, you know, you kind of assume you kind of can just guess how many people might be out there. But now I've seen like different people post or certain reactions from certain people. Um, you can kind of can see that, okay, well, not even if they were even trying to entertain the fact initially, it's just that they were kind of maybe just being quiet, just hoping it will go away. And now that it's not going away, they're kind of getting, I guess, annoyed and upset that people are still upset that people of color are getting killed, which I guess they're like, oh, well, it doesn't affect me or my family or my friends or you know, my black friend hasn't gotten killed, so I guess it's all good or something like that. But, yeah, it, but it, it's not surprising, but it's still sad to see that, you know, as much as it's been going on for, for this year and so many videos, so much evidence that's been going, that's been shown, and it's still people are just saying, yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't affect me and mine, so I can care less. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, let's be realistic. This is about we – this is about a, a, a large – majority uh, you know a majority of the people in this country with the feeling that they have an obligation to be entertained by minorities in this country it doesn't matter if it's baseball football basketball whatever it might be it, it's about people in this country are like entertain me if you're not going to entertain me your value to me is minimal and that's what we see on a daily basis it's like oh man i love basketball i love seeing this i love seeing that Oh, this is just a rich athlete and he's complaining about something because as soon as they see a black man that isn't a rich athlete that gets shot in the back seven times by a cop, then it's like, okay, let's go ahead and dig up his past and let's try to figure out, you know, why this guy probably deserved what he got. Hey, you know what? I don't live in that neighborhood, you know. Uh, hey, I, I don't, you know, whatever that guy was into, I would never involve myself in something like that. So therefore, I don't understand why this would ever impact me. Why are these rich athletes complaining about it? You know what, dude, you're not going to be on the street somewhere in that neighborhood fighting with somebody or breaking up a fight. You're never going to be in that position as a black athlete that makes a lot of money. So therefore, why do you give a shit? And that's really what this is coming back to is that handful of things. It's, it's white people that feel like they have a right to be entertained by black people. And those black people need to shut up and take what money they're getting and keep it moving because you're rich. So you shouldn't be complaining. And that's where we are, man. I mean, that's that's really what this all boils down to. And what annoys the shit out of me is that we have, we, we, you know, as, as black people, we're supposed to be the ones that, oh, we don't know how to get out of our own way. We don't know how to, you know, put ourselves in a position to succeed. This is what you hear, you know, from politicians and, 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 and people on the right side of things. This is what you hear is how black folks, you know, we're growing up in the you know, black men are growing up in families with no fathers. And this, you hear all this bullshit and all this chatter in the background about how black folks don't know how to get out of their own way. And it's their fault. They're in the position that they're in. 
But then as soon as you have prominent black people that have, quote, gotten out of their own way and gotten out of the position that they were in that may have been poverty or whatever it might have been, when those people speak up, it's like, oh, you're not on my side now that you're rich, now that you're, you have a, uh, you're prominent and you have a name that people recognize, you're not on my side, the rich, no, I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense. You should be thinking like me now. No, motherfucker, I'm still black. I just got some money. But yeah. that's the problem. It's that that's how they act. It's like as soon as that black person got some money, oh, they're on our side now. We don't have to worry about them complaining about this bullshit anymore. No, it's not like that. And that's what people are pissed about. Th these people are so angry that the black guy that should be grateful at the fact that he makes a lot of money is speaking up for the black people that don't. It's bullshit, man. Come on, dog. Like that's that's whack. I mean that, but that's where we are right now. And, and nah. And what I what this was a uh, this was a hard week. Uh, and it was a tragic week in, in more ways than one. Uh, but what the one, the couple of good things that came out of this situation um, are A, that Jacob Blake survived and hopefully will survive to tell the story so that we get a, a secondary account because usually when these ha these events unfold, uh, they are killed. And so there is no, no pushback from, eyewit from, from, from the person who can most push back against it. Um, and the second good thing that I thought came out of this was that they did decide to take up this cause because it could have been very easy, especially for what was going around online, for the NBA to be like, well, we know there's police brutality. This doesn't necessarily fit what we're kind of what we're trying to, uh, you know, fight against. Jacob Blake seemed on paper to be an imperfect martyr. And that's what makes this even more special, because those are the people who need to be defended most, because how we treat the people, those kind of people will reflect how we treat pe other people. Right. How you treat your quote unquote lowest is how you're going to treat people who are not that far removed from that, right? And so for them to to really put their foot down for a person like Jacob Blake, um, and I'm not trying to cast aspersions on him or anything of that nature. I don't know the man. I don't know how if how founded or unfounded these charges against him were. I know one of the warrants has already been vacated, um, so that seems to suggest that that warrant was at least bullshit. Uh, but that was still, that knowledge wasn't known when they took this stand. And so the fact that they took up for a man who many would say doesn't fit the nice and neat PR image uh, was, was important and special. Um, and and that, that gave me pride because that's how, it shouldn't matter what your criminal record is in terms of if we apprehend you alive. Um, if you're A, not in the process of harming somebody and B, you do not have a weapon on you, you should be able to be apprehended alive. Um, even if you resist, that, that doesn't change the fact that this was bad police work. And so for people to say the fact that he had a criminal record or, or was looking to get a knife or whatever does not change the fact that you should not shoot a man seven times in the back into a car that has children in it. That is flagrantly poor police work. And so for them to, to side with us on that and use their platform to, to illustrate that was important um, and special. And, and that's, that's, that's the only kind of sauce I take from this kind of an event is that we got to see um, something of that nature, uh, something historic of that nature around something that, that created a special moment like that. Yeah, and that kind of speaks to a bigger issue with society as well in terms of how we treat people who have either had a criminal past or made mistakes in the past. 
Um, if people have this, you know, mindset of, oh, you did something wrong before, like you have a warrant or whatever, so you have, you have less rights than me as a person who hasn't gotten in trouble, then there's no path for redemption for anybody who ever gets in trouble. So at that point, then, okay, if I messed up before, let me go ahead and keep doing the same stuff before because it's not going to get any better from here on out. I might as well go the other way. Um, so that's how I kind of see or how it hits me when people are like, oh, well, you know, he has a pass. He had to run on the cops before. He may have a warrant out for domestic violence or anything like that. It's like, okay, well, that still doesn't mean you should be murdered on the spot, right? You shouldn't be executed just because of that. It's the like, we have a whole legal. they're just a trash human being. I mean, yeah, like, remember, like, parolees get treated like this every fucking day. They get treated like mm-hmm. this every day. They go to employers who are really only employing them because they know that they can get away with some bullshit that they can't get away with with somebody that doesn't have a record or that isn't a parolee. Parolees get treated like shit all the time. Now, not that this guy was a parolee, but it's the mentality, which is, hey, you know what? This guy's got a record. That's all we need to tell people to justify whatever the hell we want to do to him. And that's, that's mm-hmm. what you're looking at. Yeah, and it speaks yeah, to the inside of, I'm sorry, do you, uh, go ahead and finish your point, man. Oh, yeah. No, I was like, yeah, and that kind of leads to the whole issue with the whole systemic racism thing is, okay, if, if we're, we're getting, you know, people of color more contact with the police, which means they're more likely to, you know, get some type of charge or something on their record. Right. And then once they have a record, then they have less of a chance of getting a job or we treat them differently. Then, okay, now it's like a whole factory, you know, just a whole machine of kind of just feeding people just to, <laughs> to ruin lives, ruin gener- generations and such. So that's what people are talking about, about systemic racism. It's like, it's more than just one thing. It's a whole network of things that feed into each other, feed off of each other. And something that you can't really get out of once you're kind of called in for you to making a mistake or, you know, someone like your parents or something, or it, it, it's just crazy. And it, it's kind of just playing out in front of us, but, you know, people just don't want to see that this is what we're talking about of why you, you have to fight these type of things because it does so much damage more than what you see from one person that goes on for generations and for multiple people as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's, it ties into like what Daniel's talking about and, and, and Terrell and everybody like the, the problem is you, the, the concept of luxury versus poor or, or the concept of, 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 of classy versus trashy. This is a way to be racist without being racist. You get that protection of it's not about their color. It's about their social economic status. Yeah. Like, I don't like poor people. Well, who predominantly is poor in your neighborhood? Like that kind of thing. And it's not, it's like, oh, no, no, I don't hate him because he's black. I hate him because he has a criminal background. Like, what the fuck does that mean? And, And then you can extrapolate it like big picture, you know, obviously I would say most people we're, we're, I don't want to say most people because, hey, we're in 2020. Most people were discussing with Brock Turner and stuff like that. That's not on his record. He goes forward through life. That's not on his record now. He's not going to have that. Like, if, you were, if he was a random, if we never knew about him, but the next day Brock Turner is this kid that went out there and shot somebody, and we're like, he had nothing on his record. He was clean. No, he was guilty of rape. But right. because of the system, he got off on it. You're not going to hold him to the same standard. Now, that's an egregious example, but it's, it's that times a million. Yeah. It, it's it's that time really like the background doesn't matter your the character of the person is what matters and ultimately like derek said it doesn't matter what your background is or what you're not they don't deserve to be executed so i mean it just boils down to that but because you have that thin veil of it's not racism it's money that that it's not better like that's that's just as bad like you, you can't you can't give yourself that out and say like well he was a criminal well, so what like it, it doesn't it doesn't affect that event 
but they're looking for that to latch on to because they don't want to they don't want to cope with the fact that it's about something else. What did, and, what did they call it in 2000 before the 2016 election? What was it called? Um, economic anxiety, I think. What was the, what was the term they were using uh, for why Trump got elected? I believe it was they they said it was people elected Trump because of quote economic anxiety. Oh, I which believe is it. Just a code word for racism. But that's what they said was, oh, these people in these pockets of the country are concerned about the economy. And so they voted for Trump because they didn't think that Hillary, nah, bruh, that was racism. They were mad because for eight years, a brother was president (laughs) and they had they had they had to get what they were used to seeing back in the White House. Tolerating, tolerating racism is racism. And and that's what half of America is, is not reconciling. Yeah, and he's doing it now, by the way, with the whole suburban housewives thing. They're still doing this shit. Oh, yeah, that, that's wild. I don't, I don't know how you can get stuff like that off all the time, but yeah. they just let him say whatever. <laughs> and to, to piggyback off of something, uh, something Daniel said earlier, um, you know, you hear these, these calls to, like, if they would only trust the police. Mm. Only, if only they would trust the police, and it's like, how many situations do we need to show you before you understand that trusting the police is a very dangerous idea for us? Um, that's why that's why there is so much distrust with it. As we always speak about on the show, these these were people who were originally instituted to catch slaves. You know that trauma doesn't just go away. The trusting the police is a very dangerous proposition. Even so, in if you do trust them and you get in front of someone uh, that they you still could go to jail for something you have not done, or you know you don't have the money to defend yourself against something you have not done. Um, and so that becomes one of the tipping points, right? Because you're, there are people who say, you know, you should never resist arrest if you haven't done what you should do, which you haven't done what the crime is. But unfortunately, some people don't have the money to fight something they have. They can't afford to be in jail. They lose their job. They can't afford to mount a defense. They lose their life savings. They don't have the money to fight something that they haven't done. Either they, they end well, up it, it, do time. It, it's also, it's you. It's human nature, though. If someone accused something that you didn't do, you're gonna not go yeah. along with it. That's just human right. nature. But the, so uh, that's what I'm saying. My point, my point only to this is, yeah, but there is human nature in that. But on the other side of it, if you know you have the the funds to fight back, then yeah, of course you're gonna let them take yeah. you where you're gonna go because you know, a, you're gonna get out in a matter of hours, and b, when it comes time to defend yourself in court, you have every legal recourse to do so. So yeah, I mean it's also human nature, D, and that's a that's a big part of it. I don't want to admit, I'm not trying to dismiss that as it's not because it certainly is. But on the flip side of that, when you have all the resources that people who have money have, then yeah, of course you let them take you in immediately because you know it's not a fucking big deal. Yeah. And that's what people don't get is that that kind of a disparity between hey, you know, I'm fighting for my life here, and you are you know casual because you're not fighting for your life. You have the resources. Uh, not to do that. And uh, while I have the mic, I just want to make sure, uh, I just want to pay off what I said earlier. Uh, Zora Stevenson was her name uh, for Fox Sports Wisconsin, the sideline reporter. She, uh, she was excellent on, on Wednesday and she deserves some some props for her excellent coverage. Um, I do want to focus us back in because we got uh, sidetracked onto the specific instance of police brutality, which was important. Uh, but I want to focus us back in on the NBA and if we feel like, you know, ultimately did they make the right decision to come back uh, did you know to come back and play these games uh, when it seemed like for at least a second there that they didn't want to do so? It depends on what provisions they got from the owners. For me, um, if these owners 
really are going to give up something. And when I say give up something, I mean like if these owners really, I, I mean, the, the, the allowing the NBA arenas, and I don't know how much the owners have to do with that. I assume they have something to do with that. Um, if these owners, um, that's a good step in the right direction with the you know voting locations and in the, the arenas and everything. It, it's tough because you can't answer that question until you know what happens going forward. Um, you know what's going to happen with the collective bar collective bargaining agreement. Is there going to be something written into that that's going to? Because uh, I think Austin was saying earlier they already you know, have some things written in there now, or maybe it was Daniel, they already have some things written in there now. Um, but the question is, okay, that's great for protecting the owners. What are we, what are we going to write in there to protect these players when this crap that apparently is going to keep going on until somebody, you know, finally gets behind it and, and, and makes something happen. So I, is, until we know what these owners are going to actually give up and what these owners are actually willing to do to support these players, other than just words, um, because the players show, more than words, which was the whole point and what everybody was talking about. So if the owners are going to do the same, um, then I think it was a good, uh, a good move for them to come back. Um, not only that, but, you know, with Barack Obama getting involved with very specific players, players that were part of the, you know, um, I guess they were the association, uh, the, um, uh, what is it? I know players Association. Players Association. Chris yeah, Paul's the Players head. Association reps, you know, with Chris Paul and them. Honestly, if, um, I don't think those guys – I don't think Barack Obama gets involved and talks to those guys if it's a situation where he's just doing it. Because let's be honest, this wasn't something that was publicized that much. It was something that came out in a tweet that I just happened to notice, and it wasn't a big, oh, yeah, look what happened type of thing. He didn't do it for, for, for publicity. He did it because he probably – remember, this is a, he's one of the probably the best legal minds that, you know, in, the, <laughs> in the country. So, you know, just because he was president. So – you know, let's not forget he was also, you know, a, a really great legal mind. So I'm sure he wasn't going to let these players go in there and try to convince them to go in there without having some sort of, you know, promises from their owners. So if those things turn out to be, if it turns out to be true and they've got some really good concessions from these owners, then I think it was a good move to come back. And I, I think what my, my immediate takeaway with, with the, when they announced that they were coming back was that they cashed out at the right time. Mm. And what I mean by that is, like, you're, you're taking a gamble when, when, you, when you do the boycott strike in the first place. The question is, how long do you need to do it to get what you want? Now, mm -hmm. we don't know exactly. I don't, I don't think they even had a goal with what they wanted. They wanted the publicity. They wanted something, and they got something. We, we don't know what it was exactly yet because there hasn't been any real details that I've, I've heard come out or anything. Um, but I, I guess it boils down to what they wanted. Um, and what they wanted was probably actionable promises from their ownership that they're going to support them or they're going to support their causes, which the NBA and their credit seems to have been doing at least up till now. Yeah. Um, we haven't heard any stories about any pushback really from owners saying like, no, 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 I don't want this. Like uh, you would hear out of the NFL where it's like highly public when Robert Kraft or anybody else is, is a dissenting opinion. We haven't heard any of those stories come out of here. Um, so I, I think to the NBA's credit, they seem to be doing what the players want. And maybe that was really what came out of this. They told them, look, we're cool with the jerseys. We're cool with, with the press. We're cool with having Black Lives Matter on the court. But we need y'all to do stuff outside of the NBA. And if they got something outside the NBA, then I would consider that a win just in terms of they got it. They didn't really do any major damage to the NBA yeah. um, because damage to the NBA hurts the players too, and that's another yeah. part of this risk. You know, yeah. if, if they damage the playoffs, I mean, this is their livelihood. Somebody's going to suffer. Um, 
and I think that that's kind of what those conversations with with your leadership boiled down to. It's like, all right, we got what we wanted. What what happens if we sit out the season? Like, yeah, we make major news, but we already kind of made major news. And and it's just like that risk factor of like, do we, you know, what do we go from here? And I think at least on the outside, we we have no idea, but at least on the outside, they cash out at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think they made the right, the right decision uh, just because them actually still playing the games, I think probably gives them a larger platform than if they decide not to play the games anymore. They still got um, Right. Yeah. So people are still watching them. Um, they're already doing a lot of amazing things on the court in terms of the, um, you know, uh, the awareness and all the information about, about Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matter movement and everything. Um, I think that if they decided not to play, then there wasn't really too much, I think, a, a plan in place yet. So they might have been a, a while before they actually got um, together in terms of deciding what they wanted to do. Some players might have said, I'm just, I'm just going home anyway because, you know, the season's over, so I'll just leave the bubble and just go home and not come back. So it was no guarantee that all the players that were participating and not playing would still participate and also doing stuff outside of, of the league. Um, also, I think it, it's good because it's more of like a uh, – like, I would say it's like good face negotiating or with the, with the ownership because it shows that, okay, well, we showed you that we're serious. If we want to, we can all agree to stop playing and we'll do it because we've done it. Um, but also since it was pretty, you know, short notice for the moment type of thing, no one expected, they still do need to have these games played because like we we're saying, not to hurt the league for next year, the owners need to help them out for their teams too. Um, so by deciding to, you know, go back and continue playing the game, then they still allow the league to benefit off of the games being played because, you know, people were still enjoying the game. Um, it kind of gives them more, more momentum going to the offseason when they start stuff like the draft, offseason, all that kind of stuff, offseason free agency. It kind of keeps keeps them, um, I guess, in people's minds in terms of not only what they're doing uh, politically, but also just for sports in general. So that's kind of big for them to make sure that they're still on you know, different shows, stations, people talking about the league. Um, so I think it's a good move overall. Um, like Austin said, they kind of get just at least something. That's all you really want when you do something like this to get at least something out of it quickly uh, without doing, you know, a, a ton of damage to yourself if you can you know, avoid it. Um, but, yeah, no, I think all around it was just a, a, a good – the way it was done so quickly and the way that they kind of decided to um, go back to playing, I think it was, it was done pretty well. And uh, I want to tie. I'm oh, sorry, Derek. I just wanted to tie uh, one thing. I'm just talking it, and I'm going to speak. Austin. And you will not. And you and will not. Silence me as a black no, man. I want to. I want to. <laughs> you cannot speak. You may not speak. <laughs> no, I just wanted to tie into that real quick because one thing we didn't really touch on, um, and we briefly touched on it, is the ripple effect that this caused. And uh, you know, me personally, I was really, really impressed with with how it affected Kenny Smith on a uh, on Inside the NBA. Um, yeah, that was real spur of the moment he was like you know what and i don't i don't believe he did it for attention i think it was really a spur of the moment decision yeah, that was real. He was like you know what he's like now that i'm sitting here talking about it i should be boycotting too and that's the mindset that that this boycott trickled through the sports world it was uh, it was you know somebody it's, it's did it like, it's a protest it's not a boycott sure. <laughs> it's you know what i mean but yeah the grammar, uh, the police are very very specific about this austin so i want to make sure fair. you right policing that ripple is is what's so, so important about it. That's what that's if nothing else, that's what they gained yeah. on the surface. So, all right, Derek. Now you may speak, Derek. Nah, I don't speak. Good. We used to have to speak. Go ahead, Daniel. No, I'm just. Um. <laughs> all right. So also they set, they set the tone a little bit. <laughs> uh, I, I was gonna say I think Daniel hit the uh, the point that resonated with me and what for me and what I was thinking about. I think he kind of hit on the head, which is the threat that this could happen again without your notice. 
Yep. Uh, that's a big part of this in terms of, hey, you know, we see you, white owners, and, you know, we believe you're trying to do good in this world, but we're not sure if you're doing it fast enough. People asked what this could, what this meant. Like, what was the purpose of this? Right. There's a lot of power in in the ownership of the NBA. And if they choose to exert it, some things can get changed. Um, so this was a warning shot, if nothing else. This was a warning shot across the bow that, hey, we don't see you flexing enough power soon enough to stop some of this stuff from happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to get on that because we, 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 we are so fed up with this that we could, we could blow this whole institution up right now. Uh, we're, we, it, it, you know, it, it would cost us, but it's going to cost you too. And so that was what this was. This was, uh, I think, a warning shot, and it, it almost went farther than that because I think that's just how, how much passion they have about this. When uh, a guy like Jason Whitlock says that the players aren't, aren't, don't believe in this and you see LeBron James is ready to go the fuck home, <laughs> that uh, I think that I think those concerns have been put to bed for forever. They were willing to put this all on the line because if they had if they had terminated this season, that was going to be a significant cost to themselves. The owners would have been hurting, uh, but I think the most damage, as y'all kind of illustrated, would have probably been to the players' pockets. I mean, I think that's ultimately why they decided to come back and keep that money within the community uh, so that they could they wouldn't cost you know you know some 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 important generational wealth down the line. I um, mean, I think that's what you see here. So. Uh, but t- make no mistake about it. This was, uh, this was, I think, you know, kind of taking America. I, I said that the NBA players kind of sent Americans to his room with no TV because they're like, yo, you are not acting right to your rooms, no TV, no entertainment for you. But this was also a warning shot across the bow of the owners. Like this could, we could take this away from you at any time. So, you know, don't get comfortable, you know, do what you promised us and let's, let's work on this together. We, we, we I'm sure they, they do kind of care about these folks. These are people they see every day and interact with, but they're, they're like, don't get too comfy because we could, like I said, we could, we could do we, this. Could, we could go whenever we could, we could go whenever. Um, it is that, a business. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> with that being said, any final, final takes on this? Any things y'all haven't, y'all haven't gotten off your chest that you want to get off your chest? Well, it's kind of funny to think about it. People like Jason Whitlock actually might've kind of helped, propel this to happen because a lot of people have been kind of saying, Oh, all you're doing is just playing ball and wearing a t-shirt and that's all you're doing. You don't really care about the cause. You don't know about the cause. You're not really doing anything to help it. And I'm sure a lot of players have heard, you know, people like him and other people in the media talking about it. So maybe they're like a bit of introspection saying like, yeah, maybe I, I should be doing more than just playing ball and wearing a t-shirt and giving interviews and such. So, um, and a weird sense, maybe you should, you should thank your mentor, Derek, Jason Whitlock oh, for causing this to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the grill if you keep calling that man my mentor. Hey, hey. My wife don't even know who Jason Whitlock is, but I told her about why we named the episode that last week. And I shit you not, like, she's like, I ain't never read nothing he wrote, but fuck him. I don't like him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like laughing, like, because I'm like, I know that he could literally write a story about her whole family and it'd be glowing and beautiful. And she'd be like, fuck him. Oh, no. Oh, that's, that's how she rolls, man. She ride or die, bro. <laughs> no, I, I, we touched on pretty much everything that, that's worth mentioning. I was going to briefly bring it up, but it, it, it's kind of a tangent, so I don't want to bog down in it. But I've talked before about how Wisconsin is one of those states that has severe gerrymandering. Um, and that ties into this, I think, because Kenosha, of course, being south of Milwaukee, um, if you look at maps and demographic maps of Wisconsin, you can kind of see the effects of, of gerrymandering at, at work. Like, it's, it's pretty blatant. 
Um, and I want to remember that Je uh, uh, is it uh, Jim Henson from Milwaukee? I already forgot his name, and I apologize. Talking about, talking about John Henson? John Henson. Jim Henson. Jim Henson, the Muppet? No. Uh, John Henson, the, when he was a rookie, got yeah. profiled in a jewelry store. And yeah. I, I, I routinely hate that story because he was a brand-new signing. He was there with his boys to buy stuff. Like, like, you can tell when people are there to shop. He came with his people to buy stuff. Right. He's like six foot ten in Milwaukee. Like, they didn't yeah. think this dude was here to rob them. Right. But they did. They called the police. They said they're here, they're here with the truck with with a, a brand new plate. It's a stolen vehicle. All this nonsense. That was no. That was Wisconsin. So you know, it's not like oh, we're just picking up steam because of 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 everything going on in the world, and now it's Kenosha's turn. No, no, no. This is something that's close to home for Milwaukee. The organization itself has faced discrimination from people in the area. If you remember, also they had another, they had another player affected by that too, Sterling Brown. Yeah, yeah so you remember that 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 whole story? So like, yeah, they actually had a couple of football players who were running with the police just because they're black men. He had like an ankle injury. They like stepped on his ankle, like while they were. No, that 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 was Stavosefalosha where they messed up his yeah. ankle. And no, he no, no, they broke in. his leg in New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm talking about the Sterling Brown was a guy in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. He had an ankle injury, and they had him on the ground or whatever, and they were stepping on his ankle. Like, mind you, this. Oh, is, okay. man, it was. Yeah, yeah, but that's what yeah. I'm saying. This if isn't not, this isn't some bandwagon. This is them like, look, we're fucking tired of it. Right. If you're not familiar with Milwaukee's history, uh, with you know racism, there's a very yeah. racial history in Milwaukee. It's not something that's new. Uh, familiarize yourself with some of that stuff if you want to go to my Twitter. I got an education of my, myself, and I retweeted a lot of that uh, material. It's a Dr. Lewis book it on Twitter if you want. Good book, Derek. I'm about followers on Twitter, but it, it, that is where that's the easiest way for me to get you the information at this moment. Shameless uh, plug. Y'all are going to give me the grief no matter what I do. So I, I just <laughs> get them off back now. No, uh, you know, there's got to be some level of agreement for this podcast to work. But uh, what I did want to uh, say real quick before we move on to is this your king um, is that, you know, the reason that we can't just have cops unceremoniously shooting a dude seven times in the back is because his warrant was vacated. You know, that's it's innocent until proven guilty. So if you're acting like judge, jury, and executioner, we, we don't get to have, you know, a trial to have your day in court. So, you know, the system doesn't work if you just execute people just because you think they're bad dudes. Uh, you know, I, I was troubled with the fact that people were just saying that they were going to go hunt down child rapists, you know, and I can't trust the angry mob to do that. Right. Like, as much as people think child rapists are vile and, and you know, there's something wrong with them and you, we hope that there's something that you could cure there, uh, there's there's no way to know if there is or isn't. But what we can do is go and hunt people before they're being, fat, well, not even after, but <laughs> you specifically can't hunt people who are just being accused of crimes because we can't trust ourselves to adjudicate that when we're in a rage, a, a rightful anger about things of that nature. Uh, and, you know, so this is what that reminded me of is that, you know, you never know if these accusations are true or not, or what's going on, if the police created this, who knows? Uh, you know, corruption's everywhere. So you can't just decide someone's a bad dude and, uh, and take them out. And so that was my final takeaway. Terrell, you haven't said your, your final thoughts. Maybe you have something or maybe you don't, maybe you're done. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I think I pretty much ran my mouth on the subject enough. Um, uh, you know, well, that's good enough. Then nothing for you. <laughs> well, Rupert, just <laughs> no, jog, right jog my memory. No, no, no. Like I said, I was just going to round out the way I ended my my initial take, which is, 
you know what? You complain that you wanted these players to actually do something with their, you know, instead of just talking because you claim they were all talk. Well, now that they're all action, shut the fuck up. Sit down. What were you going to say, Austin? I was going to – you dropped my memory, Derek. We were talking about it earlier, um, the, the justifying of, of his, his death with, with his history and all that kind of stuff. It's because everybody views it with the lens of the officer was right. And because you're viewing it with the lens of the officer did the right thing, you're like, well, clearly he had information we didn't have. And that's not the way you look at it because they, they didn't. They didn't have information you didn't have. They had no information. And you can't view it from that lens of like, oh, this is this is clearly he's in the right because this other guy's a criminal. Also, you just can't tell me that the officer has control of the situation is doing what he thinks is best when he de- literally has his shirt and is firing with one hand a gun into a car full of kids. You just can't. Which, by the way, is completely against training. Completely against training. Like, literally no cop ever has been trained. Even before that, he was following him when he was going to his car with his gun pulled out, like, right behind him. Like, who teaches you to follow someone that close with a gun? (laughs) Like, right behind their back. It was all kinds of crazy. And also, I just want to mention before we move on, is just that even people that are convicted and sentenced to the death penalty are not shot in the back for execution, so... (laughs) <laughs> no, no, like, no, one, no one deserves to go that way. <laughs> yeah. Processes. So, with that being said, uh, I think we've, we've talked ourselves out on that subject. But, Terrell, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Would you say that it is or perhaps not time for the greatest segment in the history of segments? It is time. Oh, it's time. Ah. Austin. I heard. You know what? This, that's good that you're going to me because I'll, I'll co-opt it a little bit. Go to you then. Go, 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 go. It just came to me. You know what? Let me do You milked it. You milked it. Now go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I heard there's a certain Hall of Fame linebacker who plays in the Midwest that you might have some grievances with. Would you like to air out those grievances publicly? Yeah. Fuck Brian Urlacher. Like, look. That's not gonna be the name of the episode. I this hurts you. me. This hurts me because behold the sword of Urlacher. See, and that's why this hurts me because this is one of those things where you gotta separate like, like the play on field with who the person is, and and ultimately I didn't know who the person Urlacher was at the time of his his greatness. He was one of my favorite players, like easily in the NFL. Like I had I had great respect for him as a player. Like Daniel said, the sword of Urlacher. Like he had this humor to him. He was, you know, and then it turns out that this dude is just. Awful opinions. Awful opinions. He supports profiling. He agrees that, that, that black people should be treated differently. He, you, you can't – and you, I, I know it happens in the NFL all the time, but you can't share a locker room with people that you go to war with that, that you, you ultimately call brothers and have this psychological disconnect where it's like, yeah, they deserve to be shot at a higher rate. It, it doesn't work like that. And it's one of those it, – it just ties into all those logical fallacies that just bug the shit out of me where it's like, no, 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 no. The ones I played with were the good ones the fuck does that mean and that's basically what brian urlacher is he's the walking embodiment right now of black people are just criminals and that's that's his whole takeaway on all this nonsense going on somebody who's been in the nfl somebody who's had great relationships with people the city of chicago he's no stranger to to race like he's no stranger to this he's had 30 what is he 45 now something like that he's had 30 40 years of experience dealing with this in his life and it's disappointing. Like, I, I just really was like, damn, he, he was one of my favorite players, and now I just can't fuck with him at all. Ryan Erlacher, 42. 
what really hurts me about all that is that he has a black son. Mm. That's who. So, oh, that's who. I forgot about that. Like, it's like, man, having these kind of opinions when you have a black son, you're literally condoning uh, white dudes shooting protesters in the streets. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, honestly, what the fuck? I want to so, I want to read his actual comment too because I I didn't have it prepared. So you know, I just want to make sure we we know what we're talking about when we say this. Um, he specifically said Brett Favre played the Monday Night Football game the day his dad died through four TDs in the first half and was a legend for playing in the face of adversity. NBA players boycott during the playoffs because a dude reaching for a knife wanted on a felony sexual assault warrant was shot by the police. He is the embodiment of what we just talked about. He it's it's a combination of what aboutism. It's a combination of he, he had a criminal record. Like they, no. No officer on that scene knew that that man had a warrant for sexual assault. The reason they shot him is because he wouldn't identify himself. They don't know who he is. There's no criminal history at play there. And, and to defend it like that is just such a logical leap. It, it's so gross. It's just gross. And then ask, the, ask Brian how he feels now that the uh, warrant has been vacated. See, see how he feels about people. Oh, he do. feels right about it because it was the, the officer. Yeah. yeah, he's like the officer, the, the officer didn't know he was innocent. The officer was just going off of what he knew. The officer, <laughs> officer is supposed to assume he's innocent. That's his. Oh no, job. not in this one. <laughs> yes. it, it's just so disappointing because he he was one of my you know that's why I got excited when I was like yeah throw it to me because he was one of my favorite players for for a good five years ten years and this no. It's like we've always been saying, though, man. These are these athletes, celebrities. They are just people. So you know, if, if we we all do it, you know, put them on that pedestal, kind of hold them up because, like I said, he was an amazing player. He's one of my favorite players as well. But he he's been kind of he had he had some iffy oh, yeah. comments and stances, you know, for over the past few years and everything. But this kind of just all right. Well, at the end of this, is like this only is it too much. We're coming back from this. Uh, I think even even Chicago kind of distanced themselves away from that, him, and he's a, a legend in Chicago. That but was they were like, yeah, I'm with him no more. Because <laughs> they're not even they're not even like affiliated anymore. But Chicago, the Bears organization was like, we don't. He's gone. Like, we, we have nothing to do with that. Because the internet was like, hey, man, get your mans. And the Chicago was like, they're not my mans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ain't no kin of mine. <laughs> who? <laughs> who? And that's, nah, and that's the but... saddest part of it, to see like that kind of racism destroy your reputation with people who love you. And it yeah. doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter yeah. to him. And, I, and it's not our place to say what should matter to somebody and shouldn't matter to somebody. But it's so sad to see these people who just don't understand that they're the problem. Like he 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 feels like he's he's probably being persecuted now, and he doesn't understand that it's because of his own action. He right. thinks he's in the right, and and it hurts me to see that because he shouldn't think that way. Well, yeah. what's also upsetting is that it, he didn't have these type of like quotes and statements while he was playing. He kind of waited until he after he played, you know, got his accolades, got his money, all that kind of stuff. I wanted to kind of think about what would happen. Yeah, what would happen if you make these same quotes, these same quotes starting out in the league, which is the way you know NFL locker rooms are? How long will we last in the league? You know, who will want them on their team? But a lot of these people kind of hide out in the open. You know, they'll kind of wait until it's safe for them to kind of reveal themselves. It's kind of what uh, Earl is doing right now. It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm far away from the league. I got my money. Um, I'm already famous, so I can say what I want now. And there's no really cool repercussions for me. Whereas when there was, you know, some threat of him getting in trouble, you know, he was. I, I would just go along and be a good teammate and, you know, have a ball my boys over here until I, I get in, go home and, you know, talk trash about some behind the back or something. 
Daniel says, be a man. Be Richie Incognito. Be trash yeah. out loud. I mean, Do- I what? joke about it all the time, but I have respect. Honestly. <laughs> it's like he's not, he's not out here being two-faced or anything. He did shit that's, you know, bad. But at the end of the day, like, I, I think that he's able to separate, like, no, no, no. He's like, I said some dumb shit, but this is, yeah. you know, I'm still with you, with you guys. It would be different if he was just straight-up racist 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> but – at least he's not sinister about it. He's not. That's what we always say. Like it's it's the people who who are who are quiet about it that yeah. are are like you gotta you can't fix that. Because I'm sure there's quite a few teammates he had. Former teammates he had is like, oh well, I never thought he was something like this. You know, he was so down with us. You know, part of my family, my my relatives, all that kind of stuff too. But now he's got here a while, and I never expected he was like this. But it's like, yeah, some people that think either your closest friends or coworkers or whatever. Deep down, some people still feel this way and, you know, still feel some way about you yourself, you know, if you're a black person just because of the color of your skin, something you can't control at all. And what a what a shocking lack of empathy to, A, use Brett Favre without, I'm sure, Brett Favre's consent in one of the most hard, one of the hardest moments of his life, and B, to compare it to dec- centuries of, of of black pain, like... That's not fair to Brett Favre to do that to him. It's not fair to black people to do it to us. So it's like he hurt two people, or not even two people, but he hurt, he hurt two separate entities at the same time, completely uncalled for, because Brett Favre has been a fine ally through this so far. So he didn't need this, but he throws Brett Favre into the equation for no reason. And now we have to be like, well, Brett Favre's pain compared to our pain, we shouldn't have to, have to we shouldn't even be in that position. Right. Uh, to have yeah. to, discuss that and uh, you know we, we haven't but i'm just saying some people are in that position now and they, it shouldn't have to be that way and the other side of this and i want to I, I just it's just too much for me to, to, to express but the other side of this is why do you pay brett far it's like yeah. there's been plenty of other players if you really if, if i'm the racist here and i'm trying to make my point but i'm still trying to look like i'm being reasonable about it i'm going to cite a black player i'm going to cite somebody who who has some kind of great success in the face of adversity who's a right. black player. So then at least I have that out where it's like, no, 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 I'm talking about this. Be like this guy. Yeah, like, like, like these guys are good. These are, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, like, he's just straight up, like, in, in a lot of people, a lot of people's minds, Brett Favre is the version of white excellence. He's a country boy who made it, who, who just out there playing football in the face of the new coming age. Of, and that's not fair to Brett Favre. I'm just trying to put shade on him. But that's, that's what this is to me. Like, when, when Brian Urlacher cites him, it's a miraculous story for, for Brett Favre, but from Brian Urlacher's perspective, that's excellence. So it's telling that he thinks that Brett Favre is the opposite of the NBA. He thinks Brett Favre stands for what's good. The NBA stands for what's a joke. And to me, that's telling because the NBA is black, quote unquote, whereas Brett Favre is very white. So like, it, that's, just, <laughs> that's what he said. It's, it's, he used his words for a reason. Yeah. Before, before we came on the show, Terrell lamented that the Is This Your King segment, instead of being kind of like one dude just trashing a dude who deserves it, has kind of become a segment into itself where we all voice an opinion. And that is exactly what has happened today. I did not. Right. I mean, Austin Austin cooked through most of it. I mean, let's be clear. Austin (laughs) cooked through most of it. And, you know, other than us chiming in every once in a while, I mean, I thought it was pretty good. No, it was, uh, I, I was mostly just kidding. Plus, the uh, we had we had, I did good today, fellas. We had some extra time to kill, so I decided, you know, let us let let's cook. Let, let it cook. Let it cook. Let's, let's cook a little bit on Brian Erlacher. Uh But uh, any last words on taking the sword of Erlacher and stabbing it into Erlacher? <laughs> right up his ass. 
Uh, <laughs> Fred Warner is a better uh, is a better linebacker than Brian Urlacher will ever be. Oh God! Now we're throwing out hot takes. Hit, hit him where it hurts, Ray Allen. <laughs> you know he's got some Ray Lewis fan myself. No, Ray, Ray Lewis. Ray I said Ray Allen. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm messing up names. I, I was going to say Ray, like, Ray Lewis. Uh, I don't know. Like, need to start shooting threes or what? What's going on? Speaking of Ray oh, Allen, have you seen his calves? <laughs> Somebody posted his calves the other day. He's got ankle injuries all the time because of those calf muscles. Just Google Ray Allen's calves and you'll see what I'm talking about. Is it like monster calves or something? They're, they're grapefruits, bro. <laughs> like, it's gross. On that strange, strange. <laughs> hey, uh, no, 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 don't end on Ray that. Ray Allen does not miss leg day. Because even though, even though we're about to do it, you know, some people may not be riding with us. Rest in peace, chat with both, man. No, right, 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 right. We'll have something later in the week for you on that, uh, Chadwick Bozeman. Uh, that, that'll come to you later in the week. We're going to have a little bit of a discussion on that in our next episode. But for now, uh, we, are, we are getting out of here. Austin with the, with the shout-out to Chadwick. What? Yeah, man. Wait, we're leaving? Oh, early, right? It's early? <laughs> Am I getting paid less of this, or...? Yeah, you're actually getting paid double because I know how much this hurts you. So just double your normal salary, homie. Uh, indeed. Okay, cool. You'll, cool. See, you'll receive my bill in the mail, Derek. Cool. In the meantime, Daniel Davidson, sign off, please. Daniel Davidson, sign off, please. Nice. That was so corny. Austin Rosina, <laughs> you're out of here. How do you, can I follow that? I can't follow that. Terrell Huff, good day to you, sir. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Support the arts. Support the arts. Support the arts. Because we are the arts. I like that he boxed the camera with his finger. For, for me and my corny crew, of which I am also corny, I am T.R. Lewis. Not the, the third, third, baby. And we're out. Catch you next time. Yeah, we get it take, baby. Turtle, please hit him with the outro. <laughs> the weekend and take. Because mm-hmm. the week may end. But yeah. don't. No, sir.